Thanks so much for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of the episode to receive a code for Sherm Credit. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. I'm Vanessa Longnecker here with my cohorts. Hey, everybody. Jared Bocutz here today. Hey, everybody. Adam Compton, and we're excited to kick off a really neat political discussion, what it means for employers as we come off the role of midterms and what the next few years ties back into decisions made now, and then what that means for employers rolling into 23, 24, and beyond. So we're excited to have James Slotnick, Head of Government Relations for Sun Life on the podcast. James, welcome again, and thanks for joining us on the Benefits Breakdown. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. James, we would love to hear all about what it is you do on the day-to-day uh, in your role and how that impacts right, our clients and employers of all shapes and sizes, coast-to-coast. Uh, it's uh, every day is a new adventure. That is, uh, that's, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I don't have a unique role. Um, you know, all the, all the providers that, um, that you work with have government relations functions that look at different legislative and regulatory items that are proposed or uh, that are being considered at the state and federal levels. And really, our job is to advocate for policies and uh, regulatory legislation, just policies that are that are beneficial to the employee benefits industry and the products and services that we offer. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, it's building relationships with staff of uh, elected officials. It's trying to build relationships with elected officials um, for the different government agencies. It's like, trying to build relationships, have meetings with those folks too, to make sure people understand what's important to your company and your industry. So it's yeah, it, it's uh, it's an interesting job. It's, it's a little sales actually is involved. Uh, there, you know, you'll have, uh, there's a problem. You you sometimes feel like, or I feel like uh, we have a solution. And it's trying to convince either a staffer, elected official, a uh, uh, person in an agency that this is the solution that, that should move forward. And again, all of our focus, or at least at Sun Life, is trying to make it easier for employers to offer the uh, offer different employee benefit products to their to their employees I guess that that's yeah but every day is a little different but that's kind of the the, the scoop on uh, that that would be like my elevator pitch on sort of what, <laughs> what my job it's is. super streamlined right just there's only one government and everybody yeah. is one place to go there's yeah. not yeah, so it's really, there's not federal state yeah. municipal county city whatever it might be yeah so it's super yeah. straightforward yeah it's not a problem at all. everything that comes out of Washington straightforward that's too right I mean it's so easy right yeah. Right. Well, that's and, and a part of it is too. You're trying to coordinate. You know, there's times like over the last couple of years where there's a lot of federal legislative activity, and there's things that could happen and might not happen. And so, you know, we're entering a period where Democrats will control the Senate and Republicans will control the House. So it means not a lot of major but legislation will get through on the federal side of things. But so now this is an opportunity to say, okay, for the next two years. This is what are the issues that are important to Sun Life and to the industry. This is a good period for me to try to educate lawmakers and members of Congress and their staff on issues so that the next time there is a either Democratic majority or Republican majority um, or, or they're controlling both chambers and there's a president that's aligned, that 
then that issue that I've been talking to you and educating folks about, it can move forward. So it's it's also trying to be strategic to say, oh, okay, you know, no major legislation is going to get through. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm not going to DC for the next two years. It's, all right, who are the folks I'm going to pick out to try to target that in the future may be important. And then the flip side, balancing, okay, maybe there's not going to be a lot of federal action. Maybe there's going to be more action on the state. And so trying to determine, okay, which states are going to be more important to be able to get the issues that that matter over the finish line. So it's, uh, I mean, now that I say it, it sounds like a really hard job, but I love it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, uh, I'm going to send this right to my boss. Like, that, was, that was probably the best job I've ever done explaining what I do. That was amazing. We'll send this recording to you so you can play it for your boss at review time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But the good news is every company, you know, I'm sure, you know, many folks on the phone, they have, you know, various size government relations function, but they're, it is important because it helps you have a voice. Um, on issues that, that matter to you and, and your industry. Well, and we know that there's a lot happening in this space, this world of state-specific leave laws and and new um, minimum loss ratios. What's hot and heavy in your world, and, and have you been spending a lot of your time on these days? Uh, well, let's see. As we're leading up to the election, the top issue for the dental insurance industry, so, you know, dental insurance, I think after health insurance is the, you know, the second most offered most offered benefit. Um, you know, some people self-funded, some people, you know, buy fully insured products. In Massachusetts, I know not everyone lives in Massachusetts that's listening to this, um, but you may have heard that there was a ballot initiative to create a minimum loss ratio for fully insured dental insurance products. So this was a first in the nation um, situation. There is no other state that has a minimum loss ratio, an ACA-like minimum loss ratio for dental insurance plans. And the proposal was you have to hit 83% for, every, doesn't matter the size of your uh, your plan, the insurer has to hit 83% for their entire book of business. Uh, and if they don't, they have to issue refunds, just like the way the ACA works, uh, refunds back to uh, back to your clients. The industry worked to try to show Dennis and the folks that were pushing this that dental is very different than health insurance. It's not like, hey, health insurance has these loss ratios, so dental insurance should too. As everyone on the that's listening knows, health insurance costs you know tens of thousands of dollars a year, depending on your plan. Dental insurance costs fifty bucks a month. Um, yeah, I'm sort of exaggerating a little bit, but you know, medical uh, health insurance is significantly more expensive than dental insurance. But some of the functions that dental insurance has to do, you know, we have call centers, we have to credential providers, we got to send out bills. We got to have appeals processes. You know, there's a lot of customer service functions that both health and dental insurers provide. It's really hard to set a one size fits all loss ratio. Long story short, we were very unsuccessful in Massachusetts. We lost the ballot initiative. Uh, 70% of Massachusetts voters voted in favor of the loss ratio, 30% against. And so the industry is now facing the reality that starting in 2024, we're going to have to hit an 83% loss ratio in Massachusetts. And every single state's dental association sent in money to the vote yes side in Massachusetts. Um, So we're anticipating that there will be multiple states in 2023 that look to create loss ratios for dental insurance uh, plans. And so like bottom line, it's like, well, you know, okay, that's sort of mildly interesting. Why do I care? Well, for your employees, if you're offering a plan today, whether you're self-funded or fully insured, if a loss ratio goes into place, you're going to see premiums increase. And that sign kind of sounds backwards because you think, wait a minute, 
there's a loss ratio, so that must mean premiums are going to come down. And so what the industry did is we went out to uh, an actuarial consulting firm, Milliman. They're the, the best actuarial consulting firm. Um, and we said, hey, like, what would happen if this loss ratio comes into, into play? And they said, you're going to have to do two things. One, you're going to have to change the plans that you offer. So if you have a low-cost plan today, um, you're not going to be able to, to offer that because you're not going to be able to hit the loss ratio. So you're going to have to build new plans that offer more things that, for coverage, that pay dentists more for the services that they provide. And to do that, you'll have to increase your premiums. So the plans you offer today in Massachusetts, if you're a Massachusetts business, you might not be able to offer tomorrow because insurers like Sun Life are going to say, well, we're not sure if we can offer that plan. Going forward, we might have to offer you a new plan that maybe costs a little bit more, has better benefits, but it, it, it costs more. So, and then if you're self-funded, you might say, well, I don't, you know, that doesn't impact me. Well, when we increase what we pay dentists, so if we're paying $20 for a cleaning today and we're going to increase that to $30, I'm just making those numbers up. Um, when you use our network, you're going to get those rates. So it's, it's interesting dynamic. Again, if you're not Massachusetts, it's not going to happen to you tomorrow, but the industry, you know, from a dental insurance perspective, we're likely to see these loss ratios pop up in other states. We'll certainly, you know, do our best to fight against them. But, you know, dental insurance premiums likely are, to, if we're not successful, the premiums will go up in more places than just Massachusetts. So it's sort of like a bad way, bad news thing to start the, uh, to, to start. But um, that certainly was uh, an unfortunate uh, situation in Massachusetts where the ballot initiative went through. Aren't you just a Debbie Downer? My goodness. And aren't you saying the integration of some sort of government, uh, uh, you know, injection of thought into our industry is going to cost more money? I'm shocked. I know. Absolutely it's shocked. Crazy. But so, Adam, so here's what I'm going to do. That's fair. Good point. So I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to turn. I do have some good news, though. I do have good news. Um, you know, we do think there's going to be, and this is very rarely happens, by the way. We think in the next year or two. The insurance industry is going to be offering a new product. Uh, that's right. You don't hear that often. A new product, um, which is paid family leave. And so a number of insurers are working to identify states where we could begin to sell a fully insured paid family leave product. So today we sell short-term disability. It covers your own illness or injury outside of the workplace, long-term disability, You know, same thing, but for a longer period of time. But there's no insurance product where you can say you can buy something that says if I want to provide time for my employees to go that they, they have a they or their spouse have a child to bond with the new child. There's no insurance product that will pay for your employee to take time off to bond with their with their new child. Or if they need to care for a loved one that's sick, there's no insurance policy that you can buy off the shelf that just gives you this paid family leave. Now there are uh, 12 states that have statutory paid family and medical leave programs where the state requires every employee to, uh, to have these. But in a state like Texas, for example, that doesn't have a required program, if you wanted to buy a paid family leave insurance product for your employees, you can't. No, no, no company offers them. Um, but because paid family leave is becoming more popular and there are more states that are requiring it, not every state, is going to require paid family leave. Um, the industry has seen sort of a demand. Uh, we have clients coming to us and saying, hey, can we buy an insurance product for paid family leave? And so insurers are saying, yeah, you know, that's something we should offer. And so we're working with states for them to pass laws that allow us to sell 
paid family leave. So again, you don't really hear of insurance products, um, you know, being created, new new insurance products, uh, you know, coming to the market. But in the next, you know, two years, um, I can guarantee you that you'll see in certain states you'll have the ability to buy a fully insured paid family leave product and offer it to your uh, to your employees. Well, and heavens knows that's going to become a dicey conversation, right? With more and more hybrid work environments, remote work mm-hmm. environments, employers that were focused or concentrated in a given market or region have now quickly expanded in many cases right across new state lines. So they are taking on and bearing the brunt of navigating a lot of that legislative climate or, or policy and sometimes right, have had to do so on a reactionary basis, not recognizing those deltas. So that creates right some new some new opportunities there, like I would think, to ensure compliance. Yeah, what I think what if I was if I was a multi-state employer, the one of the biggest challenges, you know, an emerging challenge that is or something that we saw emerging the, over the last few years, which is continuing is what you're talking about. There are if you have 12 state paid family and medical leave laws, they're all a little bit different. Um, and at this point, not all 12 are in effect. Um, you know, some are still coming online. And to make matters even more complicated, now I'm going back to my, my Debbie Downer side of things, to make things more complicated for multi-state employers, we expect Maine, definitely, to have a paid family medical leave program that passes, uh, either, either passes the legislature this year or there would be a ballot initiative. So likely Maine is going to have a paid family medical leave program. We anticipate Minnesota. Um, also to pass a paid family and medical leave program and potentially New Mexico uh, as well. So it is becoming more complex. Paid family leave, paid family medical leave is a benefit that people are asking for. Some states, more democratic leaning states generally are creating these statutory programs. But we do think, again, this new product um, will be available in other states so that as you're building your benefits plan for your multi-state company, you might be able to offer now on the compliance side, you're still going to have to you know keep track of different things, but you can offer sort of equivalent benefits to everybody regardless of uh, regardless of where they live. James, how many? And I'm putting you on the spot. You know how many states have a paid family leave program, or you're expecting to have a paid family leave program going into 2023? Yeah, I mean right now it well, it's a, it's a good question. So there are uh, 11 states in DC that have a statutory program today. Now, not all of them are in effect, like uh, Colorado's is, you know, is a law, but it hasn't you know, started to pay benefits yet, you know, as an example. Maryland and Delaware just passed them last year, so those aren't in effect yet. But so you have those 12 jurisdictions, 11 states plus DC. Then you might have seen last week, Vermont's governor announced that they're gonna create a paid family leave program that the Hartford, Sun Life competitor, but they got it, the Hartford is going to uh, is going to administer, and then again we expect Maine. So it could be fifteen programs by the end of twenty twenty three, fifteen or sixteen programs. I think we're reaching a high watermark though. Like we're running out of Democratic governance states that have Democratic trifectas, meaning the legislature, the House, the Senate, and the um, the governor are all Democrats. We're sort of running out of those states, so we're probably reaching the peak at 15 or 16 programs that have these statutory programs. Just seems that as we as that evolves, that could be really good and really bad, but the good might be that the involvement of technology and support as my employers that have mm-hmm. national footprints need to manage each state and understand that. 
and the complexity often might drive new innovation in the marketplace. And I know we're seeing a lot of people that maybe have done leave internally or are looking at different outsource resources, and hopefully that continues to grow. But uh, scary, but also wonderful. And so I'm going to apologize for calling you Debbie Downer. You're not Debbie Downer. You are definitely lifting us up <laughs> with great information. So we appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> James, one thing that we were chatting about before we jumped on here is some of the things that are in the near future that are going to affect the PBM or the pharmacy space and what employers need to be aware of and what they need to be a lookout. Obviously, that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, trend drivers in the cost for medical health care plans. So what are you seeing in that front and what should our employers that are listening be on the lookout for? Jared, that's a tough one, uh, but a good one. Uh, this So this might actually put that Debbie Downer thing back, uh, label back to me. Um, I'm throwing your curveball today, James. You got to be ready. Yeah, I know. No, I know. So I, I'm just, I'm not a compliance guy. I'm, I, I'm just a, just a very simple lobbyist. I think, you know, you folks would be the, the experts to go to in terms of the uh, No Surprises Act that passed last year. Um, you know, there's, there's new compliance requirements for for health plans around some of their prescription drug spending. And there's, again, so on the compliance side, there's some things that are building. From an actual cost standpoint, what we are looking at is what is the impact going to be of the Inflation Reduction Act that passed a, a few months ago? And the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, just to refresh your memories, it had a lot of different things in there. It uh, there's a new corporate minimum tax that's that's part of that, which isn't part of this part of this discussion. There were some ACA exchange subsidy extensions and, and things of that nature. But also part of the Inflation Reduction Act was two specific things that may have a indirect impact on increasing costs for uh, prescription drugs for fully insured and self-funded plans. So Medicare received some cost uh, drug cost savings through the Inflation Reduction Act in two ways. One, starting this year, Medicare for Medicare Part B, excuse me, for Medicare Part D, D is in dog, and next year for Medicare Part B, B is in boy, drug manufacturers will not be able to increase the cost of drugs for the Medicare program by more than the rate of inflation. Now, when inflation is 8%, it's like, well, like, who cares? But, you know, when inflation is more typical, when it's 2 or 3%, that's going to limit um, what drug manufacturers are able to increase what they're charging the Medicare program. Now, what the Inflation Reduction Act is silent on and does not address or what it does not do, I should say, is it does not bring these inflation caps into the commercial market. So just think you're you're a drug manufacturer. You know, this, in some life's not. Um, but if all of a sudden I can't increase the price for the government by for the government programs by more than inflation, but there's no rules at all on price increases in the commercial market, maybe I will cost shift a little bit to make sure that I I still get the same money that I'm getting is the drug manufacturer, um, but I'm going to make it up on the money I lose on the government side, I'm going to make up on the, on the commercial side. So that's, that's happening today. You know, the inflation caps are yeah. in place right now for Medicare Part D, D is in dog, which is the prescription drug benefit for Medicare. And then beginning in 2020, uh, 2027, Medicare is going to be able to directly negotiate the price of certain drugs, almost all the drugs that they uh, that they purchase. So as, as everyone knows today, you hear about everyone talking about this all the time, Democrats and Republicans, Medicare can't negotiate the price of drugs. That relationship is sort of strange. And so as part of, as part of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, in 2027, they'll be able to negotiate the price of drugs. And in fact, there'll be price limits set on what Medicare 
can be charged by drug manufacturers, you know, a certain percentage of, uh, of, of what they're being charged today. Again, when you think about if you're a drug manufacturer, if all of a sudden I'm seeing less revenue come in from my Medicare contracts, but there's no rules about what the prices are that I can charge the commercial payers, we, we just want to keep an eye on, is there going to be cost shifting? And is that going to drive up the cost of commercial drugs? And I would just, if anybody's like, what are you talking about? Just Google how much Medicare is going to save from price negotiations. And when this is fully implemented in 2027, so there's price negotiation and also there's um, the caps on inflation, Medicare and the government is going to save $30 billion a year-ish on drug spending. Yes, that's a significant savings for the Medicare program. And you heard Democrats in the midterms talk about this. Hey, it's going to be big savings for the Medicare programs on drug costs. The challenge, though, is like the rest of us that aren't Medicare, um, you know, are we going to see that $30 billion of savings for Medicare be shifted over to the to the commercial world. So that's that's something we, we want to keep an eye on very closely. And certainly Sun Life, and I can only speak for myself and the company, you know, we are trying to point out to legislators like, hey, it's great, you're cutting these costs for Medicare. But if you don't help us on the commercial side, we're just worried that the costs are going to bleed over to us over here. You mean the drug manufacturers don't want to give away $30 billion? And right. Walk, I, walk, I don't know. You know it I, I'm not, again, Sun Life's an insurance company, so I don't know how the <laughs> pharmaceutical industry works. But, but it's, it's also going to impact on the, the back end, the stop-loss market that's going to be reinsuring those drugs. Or on the forefront, if I'm a drug manufacturer planning out a five- to ten-year term of what I want to make off that, might that speculate that I'm going to charge a higher upfront cost and set my market price higher, which will artificially inflate? And we'll pick on Hemgenics, the new hemophilia drug that just came out, which arguably is going to do good things and offset hemophilia mm-hmm. costs, which are big annually. And at, at, at a $3.5 million annualized cost, it's a lot. But again, I'm just speculating, is that type of drug higher than it should be? And will others be higher than they should be? And then to your point, or tying that back to the, the $30 billion, would some life in the industry look at that and go, well, our stop loss market's really going to be impacted and is that a fair comment to say, well, we're, we're thinking about that, much like the drug manufacturers are. You have to think about how to price that appropriately for 2026 and 2027. Yeah, I'm, it, it, this is – and again, what, what makes this hard is there's no direct – it's not like the legislation talks about commercial payers, and that's really the problem. It, this is all indir- – it's like an indirect impact of, hey, it's great. You save the money over here. And by the way, you can take this for what it's worth. The reason why it doesn't apply to the commercial market – is remember Democrats when they passed this, they had to use the budget reconciliation process. And you know, before everyone passes out from boredom, um, just remember the budget reconciliation <laughs> process only certain it's like avoids the filibuster. And it's because of how many seats the Democrats had. Again, we won't get into the process and procedure, but when you use that process, you can only put through items that have a direct impact on federal spending. And so obviously, you know, cutting the cost of Medicare. Uh, what Medicare pays for for drugs that has a direct impact on um, on federal spending. Democrats tried to put the same limits in place. They, Democrats in the original legislation, Democrats said, "Hey, you know what? In, the inflation cap on price increases is going to apply in the commercial and also uh, in the government space." And the Senate parliamentarian talk about the ridiculous um, situation. The parliamentarian said, you can't do that because that breaks the rules of the budget reconciliation process because capping the costs on commercial spending does not have a direct impact on 
government spending, which is a requirement of the budget reconciliation process. So it's like, who cares about all this process and procedure that happens in D.C.? Well, the reason why, maybe let's get back to your original question. The reason why you want to have lobbyists and things like that is it's like, oh, man, like this, the reason why the commercial market is being harmed is because of the crazy procedures of Congress. The way they're passing the bill doesn't allow them to apply the same protections to the commercial market as it does to the to the government market. So anyway, a, a little off topic what you're asking there, Adam. But yes, I mean, I think what you'll see, and Sun Life again will be involved in this, is working with lawmakers and, and pointing out maybe we maybe we need through quote unquote regular order when we're not using budget reconciliation, maybe we need to look at legislation that makes sure that cost shifting can't happen or it it allows the commercial market to participate in some of these benefits that the the government space has, but yes, this is a, this is certainly something that's on high on our radar um, in terms of you know where we could see costs increase in the in the near future. You're taking equity and inclusion to a whole that's new right. level here, friend. <laughs> yeah, call your local parliamentarian, which I just googled. I didn't know it was a word, so if nothing more, our vocab just expanded for the day. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hey, James, you are a wealth of information and we could absolutely talk for hours. I really, really value your insight uh, and absolutely everything you're doing each and every day on behalf of both Sun Life and, and all of our employer-sponsored health plans and, and ancillary products out there. Excited to see some innovation potentially on the horizon as it comes to family leave. And um, ultimately, sounds like we've got some precursors to keep an eye on for, for dental as as well as our, our X-Bend. And certainly it's not new news, but it is certainly something we do not want to lose sight of. Again, appreciate your participation today, and thank you for being here with all of us and our listeners. We certainly would love to host you again soon, and keep up the great work. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'll never call you Debbie Downer, James. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever, ever. All right, team, that wraps up another episode of the Benefits Breakdown. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to hear and see from you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. This episode, in combination with our previous episode titled Caring About Caregiving, is eligible for one SHRM credit. That code for SHRM credit is 23 dash tes37 that's two three dash t as in tango e as in echo s as in sierra three seven remember this code expires after december 31st of 2023 so thanks again for listening and don't forget to rate review and subscribe and we'll see you next time on the benefits breakdown 